Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Such a familiar parable for us. Uh, But I wonder if we really can grasp the completely egregious nature and character of the younger son. In this day and age, in our Western culture, it's quite usual, um, in fact, normally hoped for, that our adult children actually leave the home. Um, And when they come back, um, well, um, there are some challenges for us sometimes. Uh, Not so in this culture. So we can't interpret this parable through our Western eyes. We've actually got to try and figure out what was the culture of the time and the audience to which Jesus is speaking these words. In that day and age, the family was the primary unit. And so the context, the cultural context, is not of individual, but it is based in family first. Greater community within the village or the town, in the town, tribe, which tribe you belong to, which race you belong to, Israel. So all of these things were so much more important. In fact, you got who you were from being joined to that community, not from being an individual. That idea is completely foreign to this culture. So just place ourselves back into that time in the Middle East, which is still very much the same in today's world. Uh, Some of you uh, saw the DVD series that we did a few years ago with Ken Bailey, who had taught and lived in the Middle East for many, many years, and so was able to interpret through Middle Eastern eyes, in fact, that's the name of his book, uh, Jesus' words and also Paul's words. And so there's a great similarity. You will have heard of honor killings. Um, and, And rightly, we condemn those. But honor killings are completely within, framed within the context of an honor and shame society. It's not the rights of the individual, it's the honor of the family. And it's what could happen if shame comes on the family, because if shame comes on the family, shame comes onto each, every single individual within that family unit. And so it's not that somebody can go off and do whatever they want over here. Whatever they do over there impacts directly the whole family. So there's this honor and shame idea. And the only way to mitigate shame, if shame comes on the family unit, is retaliation, violence, and retribution. That's just the way it is. That's the way you get back honor. That gives us a whole different viewpoint to see what's going on even now in the the Middle East. 
It's this cycle of retribution. It doesn't know the gospel of forgiveness and reconciliation because honor is tantamount. And so I want you to see that large context within which Jesus is now teaching and he's responding. This is the second context that you need to keep in mind. The context of this story, this parable is told against the grumbling of the Pharisees and the scribes. Because Jesus is sitting down, having table fellowship, a party with tax collectors and sinners. And therefore, in actual fact, is kind of bringing shame into the Jewish elite because of what he is doing, because they've set up these purity boundaries past which nobody who sins can come. They say, we don't disobey the commandments. We follow all of the commandments to the letter. And so we've created this barrier and this boundary past which nobody who sins can come in. And so they're grumbling at him because, of course, the word is out there. Is this the Messiah? He's surely a prophet. He's healing. Doesn't he teach with amazing authority? Uh, This man is a great rabbi. And so he's rising in stature with the people and yet He's consorting with tax collectors and sinners. He's eating with them, which again, in that culture, would be unheard of if you wanted to stay pure. You didn't go where somebody was impure. And so Jesus is responding to their grumbling. And if you look at your insert in your bulletin with this text, you'll see that this is the introduction is the first three verses. And then there's a gap because actually this is the third in three stories that Jesus is telling uh, is in answering their grumbling. The first one is about the lost sheep. The lost sheep. The second one is about the lost coin. And the third one is about the lost son. And that's what we know as the parable of the prodigal son. So that's the context. So Jesus starts off telling this story about the younger son. Remember this honor, shame culture. And so how do you get honor in that kind of a culture? Well, first of all, honor comes through your lineage. You can trace back your genealogy and your heritage, and that brings honor to the family because you can trace it back. Remember in Philippians, Paul talks about, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was that's He's telling what honor he has in his family because he can trace it all the way back. That's why we have the genealogies in the New Testament. And so he's he's. Uh, the honor can come through your lineage. Honor comes through the land. In an agrarian culture, the land has primary importance. Is if you own land, you have honor. You don't ever let your land go. Land is, is the soil, is the soil of your heritage. It's what 
provides for your food, but it's much deeper than that. Your roots, your roots go down into the soil. And then honor also comes on if you're following the law, if you're looking after the elderly, if you're doing works of mercy, if you're doing all of those things, that increases the honor of the family unit and then further afield to the tribe, etc., etc. So there's raising of honor. Well, Jesus starts this story about the younger son, not the older son, first of all, the younger son, and the younger son comes and asks his father for his inheritance early. Now, that's tantamount to saying, Dad, I just assume you were dead because I want it now. Not only that, but the inheritance is the land. He takes the land and he sells it for money. Shame because he's asked that is his tantamount to said that he wants his father dead. Shame again because he's let go of land. And shame even more because he's gone off to a far country. He's not going to stick around so that uh, he can look after his dad in his old age. Shame upon shame upon shame. So his audience now at this point in time is saying, okay, so where's the retribution? What's the father going to do? He's surely going to beat him. Maybe even kill him. But the father does what the son asks. And they're all, they're nonplussed. This doesn't happen in this culture. But the, the father lets the son go and gives him that portion of his inheritance. But then Jesus starts to, to turn the story a little bit. So he goes into dissolute living And he runs through all of his money and he has nothing left and a famine comes on the land and so he has even less left. And so he now is employed as a swineherd. Another shame, but now a personal shame on this young son because pigs are unclean. That's the only job he can get. So now he is unclean upon, unclean upon, unclean. He's, he's living with the pigs and he's looking after the pigs. Not only that, but he doesn't have enough food uh, to keep himself alive. He just as soon eat what the pigs eat, even worse. In other words, Jesus has just painted this picture of there is nowhere lower than he can go than he has yet come. And the Pharisees are going, yeah, well, he got his just desserts. That's a good thing. And then there's a twist in the story. Because he comes to his senses And he says, even my father's hired servants, even his slaves are better off. I know that I've now done wrong. I'm going to go to my father, say, I am so sorry. I've sinned against you and against God. Will you take me on? I know that there is no way that I can now be considered a son with all that that entails. But can I please come just as one of your slaves or hired servants? And so he goes on his way. And the scribes and the Pharisees are thinking, well, the father's not going to let him back again, not after all that he did. What's the father doing? See, the son doesn't even have time to show his repentance because the father has been scanning the horizon since the son left. He's gone on with his work, but he's scanning for his son to come home. And he sees him 
afar off. Now in that culture, the elders walk with great pomp and circumstance slowly. He's got a long robe on. He's an elder in the community. But he sees the sun afar off and he lifts up his robe and he runs for his son. He's just brought shame on himself, but he doesn't care because this son that was lost is found. This son that was dead is alive. And he shouts back to the household, get a banquet going. Kill the fatted calf. Get out the best clothing. Bring the best jewelry, a ring for his finger. And he runs out of the village and grabs a hold of the younger son and embraces him and brings him back in. And see, that's the point that Jesus is making in the story. The scribes and the Pharisees are grumbling Because sinners are being brought in to the kingdom. Because God always puts on a banquet when the lost are found. When the dead are made alive. When people turn from going their own way, the wrong way, and turn and go in God's way. When new creation life in Jesus Christ comes about, God puts on a party and the angels are blowing the trumpets and there is a party going on in heaven when the lost are found and the Father is always on the lookout. The Father, see, he doesn't wait until we turn around and and, and say we're sorry. He's already out there looking for us willing for us to return, waiting for his lost children to come home. And he doesn't care what he looks like. He's going out running to embrace them, to come home, back into the family. But there's one person, there's one in the story who's rather aggrieved at all of this, sad and mad about all of this. Uh, you know, children say the darndest things. Well, there was a Sunday school teacher who told the parable of the prodigal son to her class and then asks, who do you think in this story is really sad about what's going on about all of this? Timmy puts up his hand. I know, I know. Well, who do you think it is, Timmy? He said, it's the fatted calf. <laughs> yeah, I expect the fatted calf was a little bit sad about what was going on. But see, the one who's really mad, sad, and aggrieved is the older son. What's going on? There's a party? I've been out in the field? I've been slaving away? What's going on? Well, your brother has come home. And your father's put on this magnificent feast. Come in. I'm not going in there. And he sulks outside. And he excludes himself from the party. The father hasn't excluded him. He's excluding himself from the rejoicing that's going on that the lost is now found. And the father again 
doesn't leave him in his sulk. He comes out and he pleads with him. Come in. Come in. We have to rejoice. Your brother who was lost is found. And he says, I, the older son says, I've slaved for you all these years. You never did that for me. I have never disobeyed a single command of yours. Of course, that's what the Pharisees said. We're self-righteous. We've never disobeyed a command of God. But you see, it's not quite true that he'd slaved for the father because the inheritance was his. He'd worked with the father in the fields that were his fields that he'd done nothing to earn. They were given freely by the father. They were his inheritance. So he was not exactly a slave. He was a co-worker with the father in that which was his in the first place. See, Jesus is saying, you can't take the high moral ground of purity boundaries when God's doing the work of reconciliation, when God himself is going out and bringing in the lost, when God himself is making alive those who were dead. The God who, says Paul, reconciled us to himself. All of this comes from God. We don't do a darn thing. God does the reconciling. Who are we to decide who he's going to reconcile to himself? He'll reconcile who he wants to reconcile. He will bring in who he wants to bring in to the kingdom. And he's scanning the horizon so he can go out, run for them, and open them with outstretched arms. We come empty-handed from the pig pens of life, and we're welcomed home by a God who's been scanning the horizon for us and runs out to greet us, who throws a banquet for us in which he feeds us with himself. In the body and blood of Christ, we are fed at the banquet of new life. And we've each been the prodigal. Because as Paul says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us has been that son who has gone our own way. And God's been looking on the horizon and welcomed us home. But we can also think we're the self-righteous older son. We've been working in the ministry for a while. How come he can bring in anybody he wants? Because he can. Because he's God. He's welcoming back all of those who just start on the journey back to him. He goes running out to greet him. He wants new creation life for all of his children. So today, if you see yourself as a prodigal 
wanting to come home, know this, the Father's running to you with outstretched arms. If you see yourself as the faithfully working older son, know this, all that the Father has is already yours and is invited you into work in the fields that are white for harvest and he will be with you always. But we're not just to receive that reconciling love for ourselves. Paul says we're to be ambassadors of that reconciling love because there's a world out there that needs to know that they have a father who wants a relationship with them, who is scanning the horizon for them, who is going to run towards them with outstretched arms to welcome them home. And that's what we're to do. We're to be ambassadors to tell those who are in darkness that there's light and love and peace and grace in the arms of the Father who's running towards them. Amen.